Welcome to Series 3 of Mav Geeks, a military aircraft obsession with myself, Ginny Carlin, and new Mav Geek, Jamie Gordon. On today's episode, we are after all things to do with spooky aviation. Join us as we talk aircraft tales to send a shiver up your spine. I cannot believe it. Series three, I have myself a new Mav man. How are you doing, Jamie Gordon? I'm doing very well. It's a complete honour and big shoes to fill, I have to say. But uh, thank you for inviting me. Bless you. Well, let's just say Alex is still knocking around. We've not like kind of, you know, shoved him out <laughs> the back of a plane somewhere. Uh, Alex is still around, but you are our official Mav Geek co-pilot. Got so much to talk about, Jamie. So I need to put you through the Mav Geek initiation first. It doesn't include putting your head down the toilet and flushing it. Uh, but That's a shame. I was looking forward to that. <laughs> That's what I've heard. But let's just talk about aircraft. What are your favourites? Tell me some good stuff about you. Well, I've been a bit of an Av geek since I was a kid because I used to build a lot of models. And my favourite aircraft of all time, then and now, is the Phantom. So I built models back in the day. And I enjoyed seeing them whenever I went to air shows and things like that. And I was so lucky that I got to actually fly in one. It was an extraordinary experience. But generally, anything that goes really fast and makes a hell of a noise really turns me on. So, you know, being lucky to have to have a long career with BFBS and obviously being able to travel around the world. So I've been in, flown in and seen a lot of military aircraft. And it just gets me going every time. So uh, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, to bore people rigid with my tales of not so daring do. Oh, absolutely fabulous. And you've absolutely passed the test with the Phantom. And just to say that coming up on this series, we've got some amazing aircraft, got the Sea Harrier. We're going to be speaking to Chris Burswell, a Harrier pilot from the 1980s. What a tremendous guy. The A400, there's so many different, that's just a taste of so many different aircraft. But first of all, Jamie... We're heading towards Halloween and uh, we've got some pretty spooky aviation tales just for this week. I just need to say we've not sort of morphed into Derek Akora and the most haunted lot, but we've kind of got to give a bit of a nod to Halloween. And also there's always a few chats about hangars and different airfields, you know, having spirits and being haunted and things that go bump in the night. I've been speaking to a parapsychologist called Lloyd Auerbach from the Bay in San Francisco. I'm not jealous at all, honestly. Uh, when I chatted to him, it was like a million degrees where he was and it was absolutely peeing it down with rain here in Salisbury Plain. And I wanted to chat to him because I found this story and I'm completely obsessed by this story now. Uh, Deke Slayton, you no doubt heard from him. He was one of the original Apollo and I believe Gemini astronauts too. He was. Jamie, you will be as obsessed with this story as I am by the end of it. I can believe it. I am so excited to be speaking to Lloyd Auerbach, who is a parapsychologist, an author, speaker, professor, psychic entertainer, uh, media consultant and chocolatier. Welcome to Mav Geeks, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Now, Lloyd, we need to talk about this story. I've read this story online. Now I am <laughs> completely obsessed with it. Let's just go through it. So an American hero, Deke Slayton, if you've ever seen any films about the Apollo missions or read up about them, the name Deke Slayton will be so well known to you. And I'm sure as, as Mav Geeks all around the world, the, the name is kind of synonymous with flight. He was one of the original Mercury astronauts, but unfortunately he had a heart condition 
and he was grounded, so he became responsible for making crew assignments and determining the astronauts that would fly on the Gemini and Apollo missions. Now, he eventually got to go into space in 73, uh, becoming the oldest astronaut to fly in space at the time. Obviously, the late Senator John Glenn was 77 when he went back to space. So let's go to the story. Deke Slayton retires from NASA, but keeps a little red W-17 stinger, so he kind of has a little fly round, chucks it around the sky and stuff. We go to 1993, John Wayne Airport in Orange County, who I think I'm right in saying this, Lloyd, have kind of got lots of noise abatement procedures in place so that the neighbours aren't getting too disturbed by the jets. Absolutely. A significant number of noise abatement laws, ordinances that are there. So it's not some little grass strip. There's 737s. There's all sorts of kind of smallish jets flying out of there. Uh, yeah, that's correct. You know, some of the there's a couple of airlines that actually fly in and out of there as well. These jets are having to wait till the neighbors wake up uh, before they can take off. In comes from nowhere Deke Slayton's little red plane, tears the sky up a bit, then heads out, never to be seen again. And then it gets a little bit strange. Lloyd, can you tell us the next bit? Well, it turns out that uh, while the plane was uh, took off at 7.57 on that June 13th day in 1993, Deke had died several hours earlier in Texas. He died at 3.22 Texas time. So that's central time. That would have been uh, actually 1.22 Pacific time. So his wife, Bobby, his daughter, Stacy, were with him and the doctor was with him as well. But at the time the plane took off that morning, or was seen taking off, no one knew that Deke had died. It hadn't made the news yet. So the plane took off, made a lot of noise, kind of circled around the airport, and then took off towards the sunrise, never to be seen again. But the big thing here is not only was Deke's plane there, the plane itself, N21X, was the registration on that, that Formula One red plane, was actually in a museum in Sparks, Nevada, at the same time with its motor out uh, out of the plane. Oh, my gosh. So uh, tell us a bit as well about the FFA sending a letter to Deke Slayton and and Bobby, who's Mrs. Slayton, replied to it. Just amazing. It it took about a month, apparently, for the letter to get to uh, Bobby Slayton from the FAA. But because of the complaints that were lodged with the FAA because of the noise ordinance, uh, this plane was a pretty noisy plane. And by the way, needed someone to start the prop as well. Yeah. Uh, so the, she gets this letter on actually on July 20th, which was, of course, the anniversary of the Apollo landing on the moon, the Apollo 11 landing, which is uh, oh it's a little interesting coincidence in itself. It had been forwarded from another address that they also had. They had a couple of locations. And she actually saw this as being the date, the time, and called the FAA and asked if they were crazy. <laughs> so unfortunately... <laughs> for the FAA, they had a lot of witnesses who saw that aircraft. And that was a Formula One red aircraft. It was, there were witnesses interviewed at the field. The travel, the traffic controls, air traffic controllers were interviewed. This plane was real. It had taken off at that time. And nobody knows where it went or whether or not it was a real plane. It seems to have been a real plane. It was on radar for a while. Oh, my gosh. Right. I've, I've got to ask you, Lloyd, you, you are the expert in this field. What was that plane? That's a good I mean, honestly, that's a really good question. Uh, when Martin Caden, who I was working with quite a bit in the 90s, uh, himself an aviation expert, very good friends with Deke and Bobby Slayton, 
Uh, Marty was many things, and a science fiction author, uh, an aviation expert. He was a consultant to NASA, actually. He was kind of, they would call him. I was at his place a number of times when NASA people from the market, from the press office would call him to confirm the history of NASA. So he was kind of the living history of NASA. And Marty and I were both baffled because typically you don't have objects as ghosts here, <laughs> but there are legends of stories of ships and planes, ghost planes and things like that. Uh, we tossed around the idea that perhaps someone had done this as an homage to, to Deke, actually had another plane just like that, but no one knew he was dead. So the timing itself was bizarre and no one saw that plane ever again, which is also bizarre. I've got absolute goosebumps, Lloyd. What, what, what does your kind of gut tell you about it? Because obviously, you know, you, you do all these investigations. You're not just going with your heart and going, oh, it's definitely a ghost. Yeah. You know, you're thinking about it scientifically as well. What does your gut say? You know, it, it doesn't fit the normal ghost story at all. Um, then again, what we do know about the way apparitions, right, way people appear after death is they're wearing clothing. They look younger than they did. In other words, they have this idea of themselves, and that's what living people seem to pick up. So it's possible that Deke himself was at that field and as an apparition and that he created this projection. The fact that it was apparently picked up on radar, that everybody heard it, that's a whole different realm of activity, though. So my gut tells me that this could have been Deke's thought projection or the weirdest prank that somebody was going to pull on him. <laughs> Gosh, the more I read it, the more I think about it. And I just think so many people saw that plane. They saw the registration on the side of the plane. It wasn't just like a red plane. It was the red plane. And, and um, nearby to where I live is a place called York. I'm sure you've heard of it. It is absolutely chock full of ghosts. You can't walk for a ghost, you know. And, and one of the first ghost sightings was some Roman legionnaires all walking uh, but having kind of like no legs because the ground had been uh, brought up, the floor had been brought up. And the guy that saw them was just, I think it was a builder. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have any interest in the paranormal. And he saw them go through and he, he was saying, it's almost like a video projection of something that's happened, you know, in the wall. Do you think it could have been something like that? Well, it could have been, except that it was also making noise. Oh, my God. So much noise. <laughs> Uh, yeah. That everybody heard, you know, usually what you're describing, and I know that story about the Roman soldiers, people on TV like to call residual hauntings, Right. that the history of places that events at places seem to leave an imprint and we living people can pick it up. So what would be really unusual if that was what was going on here is the idea that pretty much everybody heard it, which almost never happens. I haven't heard of a single haunting case where that ha actually happens because that's dependent on our individual perceptions as well. Uh, and then that it made the physical so sound, all of that is just kind of a, an excessive, really interesting case that uh, I wish that plane had come back. Yeah. <laughs> and landed, absolutely. Now, I've got to ask you, Lloyd, are paranormal experiences more common than we think? There's that old saying, isn't there, that there's more things in heaven and earth than we will ever understand. Do you think that we as humans would try and rationalize things too much? Well, you know, there's a whole bias against these kinds of experiences in Western culture. Uh, if you look at cultures around the world, psychic experiences, because, you know, ghostly experiences are psychic experiences uh, all of all sorts are fairly common. And if you go by the numbers of people who've reported things, even just what's been reported to places like the Society for Psychical Research in the UK over the last 140 years, we're dealing perhaps with, a rare, ex with rare experiences in people's life for individuals. 
But by the numbers, these are not paranormal. These are normal experiences. There are a lot more normal things that happen to people, what we call normal, that are rarer than psychic experiences. Oh, my gosh. Lloyd, if you're ever in the UK, we need to get you into the studio. Seriously, it would be so awesome to see you. So if people want to find out a little bit more, your Twitter handle is at Prof Paranormal. Are you on any other social media sites that people can look you up? Yeah, I, I'm on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Lloyd.Auerbach.Author and Lloyd is spelled with one L. That's a big difference. Brilliant. Lloyd, you have honestly made my day. Thank you so much for speaking to us and being so gracious with your time. You're welcome. You know, I can recommend Martin Caden's book, Ghosts of the Air, if you can find it. It's uh, in and out of print all the time, but it's got a lot of pilot stories in it. Oh my gosh. We'll, we'll be after him next. Uh, Martin passed away. Oh, <laughs> so. oh my gosh. Well, we might need your help with that then, Lloyd. But (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Lloyd, thank you so much. I'm right, though, Jamie. I'm obsessed with that story. I just want to know what that plane was. Is it a ghost plane? Is it really Dick Slayton? Is it somebody having a laugh? What is going on? I I genuinely haven't heard the like of that before. it's, It's amazing. And there has to be an explanation for it because so many people saw it. Exactly. That's the thing that gets me every time that so many people had eyes on it. I just I just can't quite kind of get my head around it. So, Jamie, let's change direction. We go from the west coast of America to the west of Nottinghamshire to Retford to the Retford Ghost Hunters. Now, this is a group of people who spend a lot of time in some very haunted places doing investigations and they absolutely love to go to the airfields of Lincolnshire, Nottinghamshire and Yorkshire as well. I spoke to Rachel all about a legend on the old RAF Metheringham airfield. It's completely deserted, really run down, finished its use at the end of the war, but there's still somebody called Metheringham Cath hanging about. Here's Rachel. Right, I've been a ghost hunter for about 20 years on and off, dipped in and out of it. I knew that I had some form of a gift, wasn't sure what it was. Probably still am not, actually. I don't like labelling. So, Redford, for people who don't know, is in Nottinghamshire. Some amazing RAF airfields, or former RAF airfields, I should say, in the county, just over the border in Lincolnshire as well. Do you find that there's lots of activities in those sort of ex-military places? Absolutely. It's mind-blowing. Some of the stuff that that's happened to us in RAF bases is crazy. Um, I'm an ex-RAF child myself, so obviously going to these places I love. And also my dad was based in most of the places in Lincolnshire, so I already know about them places. And sometimes I get sort of like really emotionally involved when I go because I always feel, oh, God, my dad walked here, my dad worked here, and I could have been talking to one of his mates. You know, you don't know, do you? I love him. What sort of things are the things that you tend to find when you're at these Lincolnshire or or Yorkshire airfields? What, What tends to come through? A mixed bag, really. We have a lot of poltergeist activity. We find a lot of throwing, throwing of stones. Also in RAF places, they like to show themselves. They like to walk around. We've had so many apparitions. We've had many, many a figure. I know when my my dad was in the RAF for 26 years and he lived and breathed it. And, you know, when you are in the forces, you do tend to live and breathe it. And I think that's what it is with these people. I think it's their energy is so strong. Gosh. Now, one of the stories that I read about you guys was, so I'm from Derbyshire, and I know sort of Lincolnshire feels quite well, a Metheringham calf 
has been sort of something I've been aware of for a long time. Can, can you just just quickly explain to us the story of Metheringham Cath? Okay, so the Metheringham Lass, which is Catherine Bystock, she was coming home from a dance on the back of a motorbike of a boyfriend who was in the area. And basically he crashed his bike. I think it might have been a foggy night. Crashed his bike. They both ended up dying. But she's been seen many a time. She's stopped cars, got into cars. She stopped cars and asked, have you seen my boyfriend? And this has been numerous occasions throughout the decades, really, since it happened we knew about the story and literally was just we were, we were actually out urban exploring one night, which is, you know, just going and finding places that we can investigate. And Will, who was with me at the time, he said, oh, have you heard the story about the woman who died on this road? And I said, no. So he read it to me. I said, oh, we'll go and have a drive down. Wow. It turned into a ghost hunt. The stuff we were getting banging on the car. One of his viewers got a figure of a standing, which you've probably seen, in front of the car. and. It was just mind-blowing because I could see her. And I said, get screenshot and get screenshot in. And then that's what we got. Amazing. So she's very active on that road. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm quite a sceptic. I'll be honest with you, Rachel. You know, I don't I don't know what I think about it. But I find that really quite sad that she'd still be hanging around after such a loss. Me, I mean, Metheringham Airfield is a disused airfield. It's very overgrown. It's one of the spookiest places I've ever been to. I mean, when the fog drops on Metheringham, it's not somewhere you want to be at night, is it? So that must have been when you were banging on the car. Were you not scared to death? <laughs> uh, well, no, no, not scared. More like I get such an excitement. I mean, you're saying you're a sceptic. Believe you me, there's certain areas that I'm sceptical still. And we always say as ghost hunters, I think people think ghost hunters have got all the answers. We, we, we know. Nobody knows. Not one person yet who's been born and died, no, well, died, yeah, knows what the afterlife is like or whatever we experience, what it is. And we always say we may never, ever find the answer, but we have fun looking. Gathering the evidence of the unexplained is the most exciting thing ever. And whenever I go out for a hunt, you know, things happen, but we don't know what it is. I'm going to let you go because you were out ghost hunting all last night and you must be, uh, you know, you must have got lots of admin to do on that. But just before you go, can you tell us how people can find out more about you, you know, the socials and everything? Okie dokie. So we, our main platform is Facebook. Search for Retford Ghost Hunters UK Limited and um, just follow us. And then you'll see that we run lives about three or four times a week. And then we're also on YouTube, as you say. Again, Retford Ghost Hunters UK Limited and also TikTok. Bless you, Rachel. Happy hunting. I want to play this as well, Jamie. This is a, a friend of mine, squadron leader Tony Ashcroft, also known as Ashes. Uh, I've known him for quite a few years now. And uh, a few years back, we were doing some stuff on BFBS about, you know, for Halloween. And I said to him, Ashes, have you ever seen a ghost on an airfield? Me expecting him, you know, proper old Derbyshire lad to go, yeah, of course I have, Ginny. No such thing. And he went, yes, actually, Ginny, I have. And then proceeded to tell me three ghost stories about airfields. So... I want you to listen to this one. RAF Barkston Heath is located about six miles northeast of Grantham in Lincolnshire. Opened in April 1941, it has a rich military history and today is home to the Joint Elementary Flying Training School. It's also a relief landing ground for the nearby RAF Cranwell. Squadron leader John Ashes Ashcroft served there as an air traffic control assistant. 
But as he says, the control tower was not always the most popular place to be. Yes, it's on a, a two floors. So the middle floor was the one that, that nobody liked. That's where the crew room... I've gone all goosey now, thinking about it. That was the crew room and the old approach room. So it was the um, so we used to put the, the keys to the tower, to all the internal doors in the uh, in the old approach room. Uh, and that was the one that nobody liked going into. It was, it was really cold. Even during the summer, hottest day of the year, um, it was always freezing in there. And you always felt that was something that was... I don't know, something about that room used to spook everybody are out. Now, I personally didn't see anybody, but we had some workers uh, going there one weekend, and um, one of the guys, there was two teams of people working underneath the floor, and they, they ripped up the floor. One guy went out to the van to pick something up and locked himself out. So the other chap was underneath the floor and said to his mate, can you pass me the spanner? And the spanner was passed to him, and he carried on working, and there was this banging on the, the front door and stuff. So he went downstairs and, and opened his mate and said, what are you doing out here? How did you lock yourself out? And he said, well, I've been out here for about five minutes. He said, well, who passed me the spanner? Then he got freaked out completely. Um, they then stopped work and then just went off site. And so they came back on Monday morning and I was, in, I was in work at the time. They told me the story and they said, we're not working in there anymore. What an extraordinary story. But I mean, there's a theme developing on the programme, isn't there, that old World War II, World War One aircraft venues, very much a, a hive of activity, of paranormal activity. But it does remind me of my favourite film of all time, which is called A Matter of Life and Death. I don't know if you've seen it. It was made in 1946 by Powell and Pressburger. And it tells the story of David Niven, who's a Lancaster bomber pilot. You've seen it. It's an extraordinary feast of the eyes. But the story is lovely because he knows that he's doomed. All his crew who are alive bailed out. He's going to die. He's speaking to Kim Hunter, who's an American radio operator. And they develop this weird relationship as he is going to his death. But of course, the premise is that he's supposed to die, but he doesn't. There's sort of angel, for want of a better word, who's supposed to pick him up and escort him to the other world, lost him in the fog. So he survived. And then there's a huge debate up in the gods and the Scarlet Pimpernel angel comes back down, tries to persuade him that, look, you know, you should have died, so you should die. And then there's this trial that goes on up in the heavens. And he, spoiler alert, he actually wins his trial and he gets to live a long and happy life with this American radio operator. If you've never seen it, stick with it. It's an absolutely fantastic film. And it just goes to prove that, you know, there is this supernatural thing with military flying in particular. It makes you definitely, definitely think, doesn't it? You know, I am sceptical, uh, a healthy sceptic. Mm. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't rule anything in or out. Good. I know. I'm exactly the same. And listening to Lloyd Auerbach speak, oh, my gosh, you know. It's, it's very eloquent. So eloquent and just so down to earth and matter of fact about it all. And the way that he was talking about it, I, I don't know. All I do know, though, Jamie, is that we leave the ghost behind for this week. Join us next week for a mini-mav episode. I'm going to be flying solo and talking to the wonderful squadron leader Al Spence from 30 Squadron at Bryce Norton all about the A400 and how it recently completed its first ever air-to-air refuelling over the South Atlantic. Yeah, Al's a fairly rare beast going from fast jets to multi-entry, but I'm really looking forward to that. Have you enjoyed your first week, Jamie? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been an, a thorough education, a slightly spooky one on occasion, but um, I'm up for doing it all again if you are. And if you want to get in touch with the programme, please do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So mavgeeks at bfbs.com is the email address, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Cool. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>